Thank you for listening to Changed by His Word, a podcast of Pine Level Missionary Baptist Church featuring the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We invite you to join us each Sunday at 11 a.m. for worship. For more information, visit us online at pinelevelmbc.org. And now for today's message. Mark chapter 12, verse 38. The Bible says, In his teaching, he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearances' sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury and many rich people were putting in large sums. A poor widow came and put two put in two small copper coins which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty. Put in all she owned, all she had to live on. How often have you heard someone say, Here are my two cents. Or, that's my two cents. Nowadays, this is referred to as one's opinion, which can have little to no value. In other words, it's not worth very much. When you think about two cents, two pennies typically come to mind. Today, if you were walking down the street, and you looked down and you spotted two pennies, you wouldn't even waste your time stooping down to pick the pennies up. Most of us would just keep walking right on by. Why is that the case? Because you see them as little to no value. However, is this really the case? Are, are two cents ever worth anything? Well, according to one writer in August of 2016, and I quote, two rare one-cent coins from the earliest days of the U.S. Mint have sold for a pretty penny. The copper coins, both dating to 1792, went for a combined total, listen to this, $869,500 at an auction held in Anaheim, California. One of them, known as the Birch Cent, sold for $517,000. The other known as the Silver Center Cent went for $352,500. So in this case, yes, these two pennies amounted to almost a million dollars. This morning we conclude chapter 12 of Mark's Gospel and in the text before us we encounter a woman who had two copper coins. Two copper coins. And she sacrificially gave those two coins, she sacrificially gave them to the Lord. And, and from a world's point of view, these coins were of little to no value. But what matters most is not the amount of the money given, but the heart of the giver. What's in the heart? So for the next few moments, I want to lay three truths on your heart in a message that I've simply entitled, Sacrificial given. Sacrificial given. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to notice first that Jesus offers a severe warning. We find this in verses 38 through 40. 
Now, keep in mind the context because context is crucial. As one writer said, context is king. And Jesus is still in the temple, having specifically addressed the scribes and the, the chief priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He recently addressed the scribes and they ask him two questions and he calls them out. In other words, Jesus, what he does is he doesn't beat around the bush. Fortunately, back then they didn't have typewriters. But if they would have had typewriters, Jesus would not have been a keyboard warrior. There's a lot of those around today, right? A lot of people who were quick to type you a message on Facebook or email, but they won't say it directly to your face. They won't confront you to your face. Yet Jesus, what he had to say, he said to those who he had to say it. In other words, he didn't sugarcoat his words. Jesus didn't beat around the bush. No, Jesus went right to the individuals and he said what he had to say. And that day, not only were the scribes present, there were also the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Keep in mind, we're in the last week of Jesus' life, the Passover, Passion Week, so the multitudes would have come from the surrounding regions to flood the city of Jerusalem. So many people were in this vicinity. And notice what Jesus says. He says to everybody, hey, beware of the scribes. Beware of them, for they like to walk around in long robes which do nothing more than display their prominence. They want everyone to know just how important they are. Not only did they look like they were important, they received greetings from everybody. They wanted other people to greet them in the marketplaces. And not only that, they expected it. According to John MacArthur, he, he writes, and I quote, To fail to greet them with honor was considered a very serious affront. They affected dignified titles by which they expected to be addressed, such as rabbi, signifying that they were the expositors and the interpreters of God's law, end of quote. So they also loved the chief seats in the synagogues and the, the places of distinction at the banquets. According to another writer, these seats were located near the scrolls of the law. In other words, they were facing the synagogue. So these individuals, the scribes, they wanted those seats. It would be like a lot of us wanting to come up and sit on the front. Well, we don't like to do that in the Baptist church, do we? I'm going to sit right here in the back. I got a good view from right here in the back. Well, praise God, amen. So they sat in the front. They were facing the congregation. And this is where the important people sat. And they could see the congregation, but most importantly, the congregation could see them. And they wanted everybody to know that. Jesus said, of these scribes, they devour widows' houses. Another writer explains it this way, and I quote, Since the scribes were not paid a regular salary, they were dependent on the generosity of patrons for their livelihood. Such a system was open to abuses, and widows were especially vulnerable, vulnerable to exploitation, end of quote. Sounds like a bunch of good people, doesn't it? No, not at all. They would also offer these long prayers. They would pray so that other people could see them. They weren't really concerned with communicating with God and talking with God. No, they wanted other people to see them pray. And the Bible tells us quite the opposite. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 6, 5, the Bible tells us, Jesus speaking, that our prayers are to be directed towards God and not towards man. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. 
For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. So they stand in the synagogues, they stand on the street corners, and they pray so that other people can see them. In other words, they say, hey, everybody look at me. I'm fixing to pray. I want you to know that. If you will bow your heads, oh, thou great God, I thank it's thee that I'm not like all these other people. That's how they prayed. Their prayer was not about God. Their prayer was all about self. And they impressed everybody that day except one person, Jesus. Jesus wasn't impressed with their prayers. He wasn't impressed with the way that they conducted themselves, the, the, the way that they wanted to be at the very front. And what a severe warning, not only for the scribes, what a severe warning for each of us today, especially for those who are living a life of hypocrisy. So that begs the question, that was them, but, but what about you? Does this describe you? Or are you one today that is full of pride? You got dressed this morning and you came to the Lord's house just so other people could see you. Now that may not describe anybody here at all, and if it doesn't, praise God. But you know around the world somewhere that describes somebody. Somebody got up and, and got dressed and, and, and put on their sharpest suit and their, their nicest dress to go to the church house so that somebody else could see them. And they were looking around. I wonder if so-and-so sees me today. What will they think of me? Hey, what does God think? That's the most important question we need to consider. So are you arrogant? All concerned about your ego. It's all about me. Are you taking advantage of other people? I, I can't answer this question for you. Hey, I've got to answer it for me. I've had to work through this text already, studying it and preparing to preach this morning. And here I'm confronted with it once again. Are you taking advantage of other people? Hey, is it all for show? It's just a big show. You know what shows are like, right? Y'all have been to them. I mean, we've been able to go to concerts and other events. I mean, it's a big deal. And you're right there at the center with the spotlight. Each of us must answer this question. The scribes had to. Notice first, Jesus offers a severe warning. But notice secondly, we also see a sincere observation. A sincere observation. We find this in verses 41 and 42. Now, when I think about observation, I'm reminded of my second oldest son, Malachi. One of his favorite places to go is the RDU Observation Park. Perhaps y'all have been there before. It's up at the, the airport. They just recently opened that back up, but you drive up and you can park. And once you get out, they've got a little play area for the kids. And they've even got a little runway paved. And, and our kids will go over there and get on the runway at the beginning. And they'll put their arms out and they'll run. They're taking off, right? They've got, it's a nice place. And then they've got this elevated platform that you can go up on the platform and you can look out at the 10,000-foot runway and you can hear the big jets as as they're gearing up and getting ready to take off and and you can look all over to the right and you can say oh here comes one here comes one he's fixing the land so you're able to observe all of that stuff and 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 he could spend hours watching these planes land well that day in the temple 
Jesus did something very similar. He wasn't observing airplanes, though. No, Jesus was observing people. He, he was people watching. And Jesus sat down, the Bible tells us, opposite the treasury, and he started watching people, and he watched the people to see how they put the money into the treasury. Now, the treasury, according to one writer, was, and I quote, located in the court of the women. Both men and women were allowed in this court, but women could not go further into the temple buildings. Listen to this. It contained 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles for contributions brought by worshipers, end of quote. John Phillips goes on to state that these trumpets bore various inscriptions designating to what purposes the various gifts were directed. Nine were for legal dues, temple taxes, and the like. Four were for voluntary contributions. So then, Mark, what he does here in Mark chapter 12 is he describes for us exactly what Jesus observed. It's, it's as though you and I were eyewitnesses. We're able to see exactly what Jesus saw through his eyes. Well, what did he say, preacher? Look at verse 41. He sat down opposite the treasury. He began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. Listen to this. And many rich people were putting in large sums of money. Now, this wasn't the case for all the rich that gave. Philip says that some people were giving cheerfully, others were giving grudgingly. So listen to this. You can be rich and give a lot of money. You can be middle class and give a lot of money. You can be poor and still give a lot of money. But the Bible warns us concerning money. Write this text down, 1 Timothy 6.10. The Bible tells us that the love of money, did you catch that? Not money. But the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Jesus had a lot to say about treasure. He had a lot to say about money. Matter of fact, he said it's easy, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And Warren Wiersbe makes this note. He says, the rich made a big production out of their giving. Well, what was it, preacher? It was all for show. I mean, I can see them right now. They're at the treasury. They're looking around at the other people. They've got their chest poked out. They've got their nice, long, fine robes on. And they're walking and looking at everybody and heading over to the treasury. And they get over to the treasury, and they just... Dump it in. And the people watching are like, did you hear that? Did you hear how much they put in? And they'd walk back and say, well, what do you think, fellas? I mean, these other people, don't they wish like, that they were like us so that they could give the way that we do? If they could only be like us and give the type of stuff that we give. But, but, but what we've got to understand this morning is it's not... The, the gift that matters of the giver, it's the heart of the giver. That's what's most important. And the thing I want you to see this morning is that God knows the heart. And Mark doesn't say much more about the rich that gave that day. But notice what he goes on to say. He says, a, a poor widow came and she put in two small 
copper coins that amount to a cent. Now, I've got two U.S. pennies in my hand, and I've actually got two cents. But those two actually amounted to one cent, of very little value. And as those rich hypocrites went their way, a little old lady, a widow, she walked over to the treasury, put her money in, and she went about her business. She didn't look out to see who was looking. She wasn't concerned with the people, what they thought. She gave. Sacrificial giving. And it doesn't matter who else was watching. Most importantly, the one that counts was watching. Jesus was watching. So you had those that day that had a large sum of money in one hand and a, a poor widow with two coins in the other hand. And Jesus observed them, and it's truly amazing when we think about this. Don't miss this. Jesus was specifically seated there, specifically observing and watching what the people were doing. You've probably done that before at the mall. Ever been to the mall with your wife? Uh, honey, I want to go look at some stores here. I'm just going to go to this store right here. And then that one, that one, and that one, and that one. And most of the men, you know what they'll do? They'll go out there and they'll find a bench. And they'll kick their feet up and they start watching. They're people watching, right? Well, Jesus was doing something very similar that day. But, but it's, it's amazing when you stop and think about it because this is not the only time that we find Jesus observing. Write this down. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. He was also observing people there. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he saw the people and he that is Jesus, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Not only could Jesus see their outward appearance, most importantly, he could see their heart. And he recognized that deep down, there were those who, who didn't have something that they desperately needed. And although the scribes and the religious leaders adamantly opposed Jesus, Jesus loved them. And continually we've seen in Mark's gospel, the grace and the mercy of God being extended Time and time and time again. Yet, they ultimately ridiculed, refused, and rejected Jesus. Just as Jesus observed that day, he's observing today. He knows why you're here this morning. He knows what you've come to give this morning. And I'm not just talking about physical possessions. I'm not just talking about money. Jesus knows your heart. He knows what you give. He knows why you give. He knows if you're sincere about your faith. He knows if you're truly, passionately pursuing Him. Or if, like these scribes, it's all for show. And although you can fool people, you can't fool God. God cannot be fooled. The Bible says that He knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. So what we see here first is a severe warning. We also see a sincere observation. But notice third and finally, a sacrificial heart. We find this in verses 43 and 44. Now Jesus says, 
the rich gave out of their surplus. In other words, they gave a, a teeny tiny bit of their excess. They had more than enough to make ends meet. They gave what they gave and they went on about their business, not thinking twice about what it was. What they gave really was overall very little. They had more they could have given because they had more, yet they chose to give less. And notice what Jesus does. What a teachable moment. He calls the disciples. Hey, guys, come over here. I got something I want to teach you. I, I want to tell you something. I want to give you some instruction here. And what he does is instead of focusing on the rich with all the money, he zeroes in on the outcast. He zeroes in on the poor widow. And, and listen to what he says. He says, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. Not just those rich folks. All. She gave more than all of them. For they put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty. Think about it this way. Times were definitely different then. No doubt about that. But this lady had lost a husband. She had nobody to care for her. Nobody to provide for her. We're talking about a different time period. Women couldn't just go out and get a job like we're privileged to be able to do today. It was a very difficult time. She needed someone to care for her. Someone to provide for her. Someone to help her. She was vulnerable. And, 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 and what we see here is Jesus' care for this widow. That, that, that shines through with, with, with a, a blazing light in the text that we're looking at. So, so the people around didn't care much about her, but Jesus focuses on her. He zeroes in on her. And man, what if we would do that today to those who are less fortunate, to those who are vulnerable? Did you know that God has a special place in his heart for the widows and the orphans? The Word of God tells us that time and time again. As a matter of fact, Psalm 68.5 says that God is a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. So God cared for her, and God cares for widows today. She didn't have to go the extra mile. She didn't have to give everything she gave, but, but she willingly, sacrificially gave. She wasn't dressed in fine apparel. She wasn't putting on a show. She didn't receive the respectful greetings. She didn't sit in the best seats in the synagogue. She didn't offer the big, long religious prayers. No, she simply just came to the treasury, gave her offering to God, and went on about her business. She did what she did. She gave what she gave. Because she had something in her heart that those folks didn't have. She understood Jesus. She understood His Word. She didn't love money. She loved God. Now don't miss this. Remember back in chapter 11? If you'll go back to chapter 11. I'm sorry, uh, chapter 12. Just back a few verses in verse 30. Verse 30 says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Do you know who demonstrated that? This poor widow. She demonstrated 
by her sacrificial giving that she loved God with all her heart, her soul, her mind, and her strength. She had very little to give, but she freely gave all she had. Sacrificial giving. Dr. Danny Aiken describes her sacrificial giving as follows, and I quote, She had two coins, so she could have kept one, but she didn't. She gave sacrificially. She gave her all. There was nothing more she could have given. The amount was not large, but the sacrifice was great. Jesus was moved by the poor widow's sacrificial giving because it was a foreshadowing of his own. She gave all she had, and so did he. Have you ever looked at this widow before and said to yourself, That's a shadow of Jesus. That's a foreshadowing of what Jesus was about to do. For these folks, it was just a few days. We're talking about Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, three days. Jesus is headed to the cross to hang on Calvary's hill and die for your sins and mine. Praise God. Talk about sacrificial giving. Jesus sacrificially gave his life, not just for this widow, but for all of us. That'll put our trust and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus did for you what you could never do for yourself. The Bible tells us that Jesus left heaven and came to earth passionately pursuing you. As a matter of fact, John describes it this way in his gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's Jesus. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us, and we beheld His glory. Glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We know that Jesus was born in the little old town of Bethlehem. We know that Jesus lived a, a perfect life. He lived a sinless life. We know that Jesus went all the way to the cross. And there on the cross, He died in your place and mine. Talk about the, the most excellent example of sacrificial giving. Not the widow. That was a sacrificial act of giving, but it pointed to what Jesus would do. The greatest gift that's ever been given. You may say this morning, well, preacher, why in the world did Jesus have to go to the cross? That's a good question. Here's the answer. It's not a popular answer. And it's not going to win me a popularity contest. And it, it's a word that, that you will not hear in, in a lot of churches today. But the reason that Jesus went to the cross is not because you're a good person, but because you've sinned against the holy, righteous God. And so have I. I'm in the same boat with you. I, I'm on the platform here, but I'm in the same boat. You with me? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Man, if it would have stopped right there, that would have been a bad deal. I mean, we'd all been condemned to an eternity separated from God. But the gift of God, are you with me? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, that Christ died for us. 
And if you'll turn from your sins and trust Jesus with your life, he will radically save you and change you from the inside out. If you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Saved from yourself. Saved from sin. Saved from the world, the flesh, and the devil. You see, although money's involved in this message, it's not a message just about money. It's about sacrificial giving. You with me? You've heard me say this before. Now, I wasn't thinking about this text and looking at this text when I preached a few weeks ago that money was involved. And you heard me say back then that some may come into the church one time out of 52 Sundays and say, well, every time I go to the church, the preacher, all he does is ever talks about money. No, he doesn't. This is only the second time that I can think of. And I didn't just, I didn't just flip through my Bible and say, Money! I'm going to preach on money today. People need to give their money. No. It's in the text that's before us. So we've got to preach the text. But, but it's not all about money. Follow, me with me, follow with me, uh, along with me here in closing. It's better to give God one cent. You hear me? It's better to give God one cent with a sacrificial heart than it is to give him a million dollars with a prideful heart. Now you think about that for a minute. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your money. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. One lady said he owns the hills they stand on too. Think about that. He owns it all. God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart. He wants your heart. And when God has your heart and you're giving your life sacrificially to Him, He's not going to only get your money. He's going to get your life. He's going to get a life of service devoted to Him. Living each day in obedience to His commands. When you think about giving, you're not going to say, Oh my, I've got to, oh my, I've got to give to God. I don't know if I've got the money to give. I've got, I've got to give to God. What do I do? What do I do? Give it to God. Amen? The times over, over our course of, of marriage that we've given to God, God has faithfully given back. Time and time and time and time again. Well, aren't you special preacher? No, I'm not. I'm just trying to live in obedience to God and His commands, and the Bible tells me that you can't outgive God. You can't outgive Him. So this widow is a wonderful example for every one of us because she willingly gave everything she had to give. Everything. So that begs the question in closing, what about you? What do you need to give Jesus right now? You've been listening to Changed by His Word, the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Lee. We hope that you have been encouraged and challenged by this message. If you have any questions about the message or about your relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact Pastor Brad at changedbyhisword at gmail.com. Thank you and God bless.